At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Tre di Aperol, tre once, once in italiano, tre once di Aperol dentro un, un bicchiere con ghiaccio. Poi ci mette due once di Prosecco oppure un vino bianco secco e dopodiché ci si mette un po' di acqua oppure acqua gasata, un once. That was Katie Parla, author of the new cookbook Tasting Rome, practically singing to us in Italian. She's telling us how to make an Aperol spritz. She and I were drinking them in the studio, along with Talia Baiocchi and Leslie Pariso, authors of the newly released Spritz. This is our Italy Week edition of Burnt Toast. I'm your host, Kenzie Wilbur. Oddio. Allora. Ricordatemi... It's Italy Week on Food 52, partly because of the release of these beautiful books. Tasting Rome is a food-first approach to the ancient city and how it's evolved to encompass more than tradition. And Spritz is a cocktail-driven look at the culture and style of Italian drinking through one of the country's most iconic drinks. Both brought Italy front and center for us, and made us realize that Italy touches almost everyone who cooks or eats or drinks. You don't have to be a chef to have something to say or to have a story to tell. You don't even have to have been there, though if I were you, I'd queue up a few airline sites right now. Food 52 is full of those stories this week. Head to the site. It's a full-on Italian love fest over there. And then go make yourself a spritz. While you do, Talia, Leslie, Katie, and I will start at the beginning. Who at this table remembers their first spritz? Well, I don't know. It just, I don't know. The spritz almost came to me in a vision. <laughs> That's Talia. And I'm not quite sure when it happened, but I think I've always, day, I've been daydreaming about the spritz since I've been able to drink. Um, but I, I, it must have been on some sort of trip to Italy at some point, you know, uh, during my college years because it was ubiquitous. It's, always, it's been ubiquitous for a while. Um, but I don't, I mean, I was drinking a lot of things during those times <laughs> so it was basically what was available um so yeah I don't have a, a a great story about my first spritz unfortunately I I feel the same way and that would be Leslie um but I do remember the first spritz that left an impression on me and I know that I must have been drinking spritzes before this because my friends presented me a punch bowl size spritz for my birthday knowing <laughs> that I loved them and I can't remember, I, I it must have been a few months before, and I was living in New York. I think it was just by, um, I think it was just by nature of being in the cocktail world and Aperol was starting to explode as a product and they were marketing the spritz as the way to drink that. Um, I still enjoy a punch bowl size spritz if anybody out there 
wants to present me with one when I come to your bar. I, too, um, got the birthday spritz in a uh, giant Pyrex mixing bowl. Um, one of my proudest moments. Mm-hmm. Katie, what about you? Do you remember your first spritz? I don't recall the first spritz, but like Talia, it must have been on a trip to Italy or more accurately like, after I'd moved to Italy and finally visited Padova or Venice um, where spritzes were and still are around two euros and include like heaps of snacks. Um, so it must have been 2005. I have to interrupt you for a second because you have one of the most beautiful radio voices that I've ever heard. Oh, I thank you so much. It's... <laughs> Wait till she starts talking <laughs> like... in Italian. <laughs> oh my gosh. Grazie. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. You're going to have to close the show with like... I mean, you can just speak gibberish in Italian to us. Okay, great. Um, so I asked that question because I, I always I think about cocktail, the history of cocktails as um, always being legend because probably the person who would have thought to write it down was Three Sheets of the Wind. Um, and both of your books involve a lot of history. So did, did you run into any you know roadblocks while researching or, or did you have trouble with the beginnings of of any of this stuff? We just made it up. <laughs> so it was really easy. It's a fiction book. I'm not sure yeah. if you knew. Oh, you didn't get that? Oh. Um, it was actually quite difficult because the spritz um, specifically is um, sort of cloaked in a, a plenty of Italian exaggeration and myth. And, and really, as the story goes, you know, it's born during the Habsburg domination of northern Italy um, when, you know, soldiers were, you know, uh, unaccustomed to the strength of Italian wine and were watering them down with water. Um, you know, and, and who knows whether this is true or not. We don't have, um, you know, we don't have a record of that. And the thing about the spritz that's so difficult to, um, to research is that it really isn't a cocktail recipe that would have been written down in a book. This is not something that's, you know, two ounces this, one ounce that. It's not, you know, cocktails as we think of them as Americans. And this is just basically a, a cultural t- tradition and a, a way of a perspective on the aperitif that's native to, you know, northeastern Italy. So in that way, it's really hard to find record of, of a spritz as a recipe. Um, and it's rarely mentioned. So it was really actually quite difficult to, to find the history of this drink and write it down. Then we heard some wild stories, like crazy stories. One guy uh, that I spoke to on the phone told me that uh, the spritz was born of a way uh, to essentially disguise women drinking. And so they were adding juice and things to it so that people in public wouldn't know that women were having cocktails, which we all know is BS. Talia has a good story about... There's, like, one that concerns, like, red wine from uh, Valpolicella and, like, a German count on the beach. There's a lot of different... There are a lot of... We heard some amazing stories. Someone getting punched in the nose. I was just going to say, the one that I remember is is someone getting punched in the nose across a bar, and the blood spurt from him getting punched, like, is the spritz. Is that right? Yeah. That was... He was that joking. That is so implausible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's it's a joke that levels. actually sort of underscores, like, how ridiculous some of these stories are. So that doesn't happen all the time in Italy. No. I mean, I've seen it happen a few times, mostly at Irish pubs, <laughs> but uh, not so much at the spritz spots. Yeah. <laughs> but I think all of these myths, whether they're related to cocktails or foods, um, often they tell us a lot about what sort of Italians think about themselves rather than the genesis mm-hmm. and development of these drinks. And you know, we find some really outrageous, but sort of really interesting myths when it comes to like different foods. Carbonata is probably the most famous example of you know, this Italian or Roman dish, I should say, that is shrouded in mystery and every single 
Cook has a theory about its invention and development. Zero have any documented evidence to back it up, but they're they're fun stories. And mm-hmm. it allows people to sort of create an identity around things that aren't always part of the culture, but sort of arrive at a certain point and then are fully adopted. Can you tell us this, the, that story? Yeah. So carbonara, which is this fantastically rich pasta um, made with egg whole or yolk only, depending on the cook. Um, the um, sort of like creamy sauce is created by uh, pecorino romano cheese, which is finely grated and sort of whipped into the into the egg. Um, black pepper um, is also introduced. And then to that, you introduce guanciale um, and it's rendered fat. Toss it with pasta vigorously to make this mantecato, this sort of creamy sauce. Um, and many people say that the invention of carbonara dates back to the post-war era when American soldiers brought their K-rations all over Italy and their powdered eggs and bacon were used as these base ingredients for a pasta dish. But there are no written sources, no documents that mention carbonara at all before about 1959-1960. So already we have this strange anachronism in the story. Um, Others say that because carbonara sounds like uh, charcoal makers, that charcoal makers invented it. But if you think about the ingredients, um, just the presence of egg um, and so much of it implies wealth. Um, And there are these really, really fabulous 1960s um, travel uh, accounts that talk about carbonara being this sort of like newfangled thing that is probably going to go out of style and should stick to the Roman classics. Ironically, now it's a super classic. Um, mm-hmm. But so it's this thing that sort of enters into the society in the 60s, most likely. So we have all this content on the site this week for Italy Week. And I've been thinking a lot about the disconnect between never having been and what we think it's like and what it's actually like. And when you think of things like carbonara and spritzes, it just ties together this like crazy, stereotypical, beautiful picture, and there's a bard in the corner and singing you a song. Yet you say in your book that there are tons of horrible dishes being served in contemporary Italy. So many. So I want to know about them, and I also want to know if that's true of drinks. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. I think, yeah, we've all experienced terrible, terrible drinks and dishes together, actually, at times. (laughs) One of my favorite... Katie Tex ever was a picture of a Sazerac. Oh, no. <laughs> I think this was actually, yeah, with garnished with a cucumber. <laughs> oh. It was revolting <laughs> and upsetting. <laughs> you reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. To be fair, if you don't have a thing for classic cocktails, or you didn't grow up in 1920s New Orleans, you might not be that upset. Here's why you should be. A Sazerac is a mix of rye, sugar, bitters, a splash of soda water, and absinthe. Or if you really did grow up in 1920s New Orleans, pastis, because absinthe was illegal then. Any garnish other than a lemon peel is considered sacrilege. But I think that there is a reputation um, that Italians are the gatekeepers to this beautiful, pristine food and beverage culture. Um, And it's not so simple. I mean, Italy is an extremely fragmented place. There are places where wealth and sort of choices allow people to drink and eat very, very well. And others where uh, people instead, for a variety of economic or 
cultural reasons, choose to eat um, things of very poor quality. Um, it is not a homogenous culture and, and shouldn't be. But I think when it comes to um, when it comes to the to the drinks in particular, um, especially the spritz, carbonara, as we mentioned before, these are items that are really rooted originally in a specific location and then spread somewhat. And it was wonderful to travel with you guys in in uh, northern Italy and see the different sort of incarnations of uh, of the spritz, depending on whether we were in Torino or Milan. So they're rooted in regions, but they're also rooted very much in history. You mentioned proto-spritzers. Yes. So yeah, I mean, the, the act of mixing water and wine goes back to Greek and Roman times. I mean, you had the, the Greeks were mix, mixing seawater with wine. You had uh, satine, which was a sort of a, a Roman uh, wine that was mixed with snow that was a favorite of Augustus. So you have this, this uh, sort of proto-cocktailing, I guess you could call it, um, that dates back very far. Um and in Italy, the interesting thing about cocktail culture is we see this as such an American thing. Um, but in Italy, it isn't just an appropriation of American cocktails. Like with the birth of Italian cocktails, you know, happened during fascism. And you um, you see that these drinks are really an expression of, of Italian identity. And the spritz even in its own way is the same thing. I mean, this is something that, if you believe the, the story, was inherited under imperialist rule. And then it really only becomes Italian with the addition of the bitter uh, and that is really an expression of, you know, making something that wasn't Italian, Italian. Um, so there's a lot of meaning behind many of these things that do date back to, that really sort of go back to identity and expression of identity. Um, and that, you know, goes back to what Katie was saying about, you know, these stories, even if they might not be entirely true, they tell us something about what Italians want to say about themselves. You were just saying that the spritz is a, like a state of being. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's a mantra. Do we have anything that even comes close to that sort of romance and sort of cultural <sighs> identity in the States? I think that there's something to be said for the idea of these strong, stirred cocktails that really resonate with the identity, especially the current identity of American cocktail culture. And those are things like old fashions in Manhattans, where even if you go into a crappy bar in Ohio and you ask for an old fashioned, they're going to give you something because they think they know what that is. And it could be like the equivalent of the Sazerac garnished with a cucumber. But Americans do have an idea of what the old fashioned means and what that connotes in culture. And I think it's it's also been tied back, especially of late, to this identity of 1950s masculinity. Um, but that I, I think that is like the closest thing that we can say to like an original root in cocktail culture. I don't know about in... I don't think we have something that really approaches the spritz and something that, that is so symbolic of, you know, quote unquote, the good life and whatever that might mean to the current generation or the generation that came before them. Um, and the thing about the spritz is really this is something that comes to, uh, you know, to being during the, you know, the a, a period of economic prosperity in Italy and that does not exist in the same way today. And and whether or not, you know, the current generation is drinking this and thinking about that, that's probably not the case. But when you kind of look deeper, this still is a symbol of leisure and the good life. Um, and I don't know if we have one drink that is that way in America. And I think part of the answer is because, you know, we don't – it's much different than Italy. We don't go and drink the same drink every day. We're looking for the next thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a difference in culture, I think. And so certainly I think a lot of our cocktails have meanings that are – even a little bit more wrapped up like mm-hmm. what what is our leisure cocktail like a tom collins doesn't mean i don't know it, it just it means 
a lot more and a lot less at the mm-hmm. same time, I think. Yeah, and they, it goes through eras. Like Talia said, we're always looking for the next thing because at one point we could have said it was the Cosmopolitan or the <laughs> Mojito. And those things go in waves here. That We don't have something that bridges generations or eras. We're always moving on to what the next big craze is. Okay, so let's talk about contemporary cocktail culture in Italy then. I know no other way to say that, that this that doesn't make me sound 80 years old, but what <laughs> are the kids drinking in Italy today? You mentioned in your book, Katie, that wine is starting to be looked at as a little bit old-fashioned. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on exactly where you are. And in Rome, we have both um, the one of the most vibrant drinking cultures in Italy, as well as one that is sort of dominated by industrial brands. Um, And so there are people who seek out natural wines and craft cocktails. And um, and certainly uh, in the craft cocktail scene, the spritz is not perceived as something prestigious. It's often dismissed um, in favor of of a variety of usually American uh, style cocktails. Um, So the way that people drink in Italy is informed by their social class and their finances. And, you know, there's 43% youth unemployment in Italy right now. So Funds are generally generally limited, um, and when people do go out, they'll go out for maybe one drink. And more now, more than ever, the drinks that they do go out for are very high in alcohol, because they want their euro to go further. Um, and so, high alcohol beers, um, wines, um, and of course, cocktails. Um, the spritz weighs in at like eight mm-hmm. percent, probably if it's an aperol spritz. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to be seen as a, a value-driven purchase for for your average drinker. A value-driven purchase. Is there a Italian jungle juice? <laughs> I don't think we have that. There's going to be. <laughs> coming Once you bring it over. Kenzie, jungle. for those of you who don't know, is an aficionado of jungle juice. Jungle a historian, juice. I would say. <laughs> I take it really, really seriously. Just a quick note. I'm not a jungleadorian because I was or am some legendary partier, though I sort of wish that were the case. It's because I wrote a story for Talia and Leslie a few years back on the history of grain alcohol in trash cans, which maybe isn't the proudest American drinking ritual, but exists nonetheless. Um, If there's one Italian drinking ritual that you think that we should appropriate other than the spritz itself. Personally, I think it's just the the simple concept of eating and drinking together. This idea that after work you can go and have a cocktail someplace and um, have that be a social ritual that includes the idea of food. And so often in American culture, we divorce these two things and we just go out drinking. But in Italy, and I'm sure Katie can expand upon this, it really is impossible to separate these two things. And I mean, it's it's beneficial in so many ways, but I think that this idea of gathering and having small, even small things that are actually a generous gift from, from the bar itself is a really lovely idea, being able to sit down and like have a crappy basket of generic potato chips, but also have <laughs> yeah. some really beautiful spreads that include... Or if you're lucky, Crick-Crock brand. <laughs> Explain. Crick-Crock is a, an Italian <laughs> potato chip brand. They're delicious. I recommend them. That's, that's actually a really great point um, because both of your books... So Spritz is obviously cocktail-driven um, and your book is obviously food-driven, but they both cross over. There's no disconnect. It's not just 100% drink or 100% food. I instead would love to see more uh, cafe corretto mm. in America, so espresso with a shot in it. Um, and historically in Roma, cafe corretto was an espresso with a shot of uh, some anise-based uh, liqueur. 
Um, but you can have it with anything. Grappa. You can throw some Amaro in there, some rum. That sounds so a good, good way to start yeah. the day, I think. Mm-hmm. Almost like a, a way, way better espresso martini. See. Although, <laughs> although I'd love to see some of those sort of like crappier drinks done really, really well. Mm-hmm. Like an espresso martini can be delicious. Oh, it's, I still love them. Yeah. I made them this weekend. <laughs> can you explain to us how to make a spritz in Italian? Allora, tre di aperol, tre once, once in italiano, tre once di aperol dentro un, un bicchiere con ghiaccio. Poi ci mette due once di prosecco oppure un vino bianco secco e dopodiché ci si mette un po' di acqua oppure acqua gasata, un once. We're going to blame this next part on Katie. To be honest, all of that Italian kind of brought the romance. Maybe the spritzes we were drinking did too. For context... Katie, Talia, and Leslie aren't just extraordinarily well-versed on Italian food and drink. They're also friends and travel partners, and they blurbed each other's books. What was it like to blurb each other's books, you guys? <laughs> oh my god, I <laughs> totally didn't even like... Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I was honored, uh, and, and Tasting Rome to me is, you know, it... it, it it, just this idea of the the collision of of old and new that has defined Italy and and what that means to American culture. I mean, this is like you're talking about the Roman Empire here, and and um, what does new mean in that context? And I think that Tasting Rome deals with that question in a really amazing way, and it's so smart. So I mean, for me, it's it was an honor to even be uh, considered, you know, because I'm not. You know, I'm not Mario Batali. I'm not. Oh my God. <laughs> but I made that back cover, baby. Awesome. <laughs> um, no, it was it was such a privilege to have you blurb the book. Um, and I actually was a little bit upset that I saw your blurb before I blurbed your book because I never am able to express how deeply I like treasure what you guys do in words. <laughs> I'm also not achieving that right now. You killed but it. But it's so rare. It's so rare to find Italy based people writing in an intelligent, sophisticated way that's also accessible, um, much less um, to amazing women, New York-based, who are able to really infiltrate the culture and completely break it down um, in those beautiful pages. Like, it was it was a beautiful thing. Are there tears coming to my eyes? Actually? I'm well, crying. Yeah. I'm crying. Much of this, we had the pleasure of, I've actually had the pleasure of traveling um, in Italy with Katie's guidance twice, one while we were doing the book and one while I was in Rome. And... Um, I don't I I this isn't the this isn't going to sound as deep as I want it to but my experiences would not be nearly as rich without your guidance there. We um we found, you know, some wild little places just due to the like the beautiful app that you've created, oh, but also we were lucky enough to have you eating alongside so us fun. some of these times too. Um and I don't know if we would have made our way through Torino or where else were Milan. we? Milan, yeah. We would have we would have been like on back streets eating crappy food drinking no, crappy cocktails false you would have been chugging goblets full of negronis with, uh, <laughs> at barbasso <laughs> correction katie uh slept on, katie slept on a pull-out couch in the living room in our airbnb in milan which was literally the size of the studio that's right <laughs> which is magical. not large <laughs> it was the kitchen too yeah <laughs> oh my God, it was the kitchen loved it that's actually sort of fitting <laughs> it was perfect it yeah. was do you guys have any stories from milan Oh, I shouldn't tell that story. (laughs) At one time at the canal. Well, if if we want, you can cut this out if you want to. (laughs) Um, The worst hangover of my adult life 
was in Venice after a day of spritzes and wine and like a double dinner and then a visit to the Irish pub. Aye. Because when you're in Venice, <laughs> obviously the last stop of the night is an Irish pub. And we had to visit Prosecco the next day <laughs> and go up and down the winding hills of the <laughs> Valdo Biadene. And I'm sure you can imagine what this all resulted in. And our <laughs> No, please tell us because it's an amazing story. <laughs> Essentially, I slept through lunch in our host's car. She was this young 20-something Italian who was none too impressed with us as Americans trying to discover the beauties of Italian wine culture. And so I, I slept in the back seat of her car through lunch. And then as they piled into the car after lunch, we went down a hill and I was like, stop, stop. I need to get out because I am going to lose it. And I did in front of a one-eyed cat on the side of the road in the Valo Piatone. I love that you remember the number of eyes the cat had. I looked up and it was staring at me. With, with one. one. <laughs> Yikes. I think the the thing to note about Milan is that um, there is this really beautiful leftover culture from a time that it just doesn't exist anymore. Um, they're beautifully preserved Art Deco bars, places that you can walk in and buy candies and cookies and also have a spritz next to an 80-year-old man at a beautiful bar. Um, and it truly is uh, illustrative of the idea of what it means to have a social hour after work because Milan is a very industrial city. And so at six o'clock, everybody is ready to get off work and everybody goes out. And um, yeah, I think drinking spritzes out of vase sized glasses was probably the highlight. That's amazing. You yeah. mentioning an 80 year old man made me think of the fact that I often wish I come back as an Italian grandfather so that I can sit around <laughs> and drink Campari and play shuffleboard. But I also wonder if that's an entirely American connotation in view. I mean, I think that there is something about about people who perhaps are 80 right now, that they have undergone a series of experiences and especially early retirement that is absolutely vanishing. And I, I talk about this a lot when people ask me about, um, you know, who cooks in Italy? And when people talk about their favorite dishes, they're always talking about their granny's favorite dishes. They're never saying like, oh, my mom makes the best lasagna. There is a certain Italian-ness um, that has vanished and is vanishing um, just by the pure demographic shifts that are happening right now. So... I still go to the park and I find guys playing bocce um, and hanging out. And in Rome, they don't drink Campati, but they're definitely enjoying leisure time, um, gossiping, reading the paper, hanging out. And I think that's going to slowly drift away. It is drifting away. Do men cook in Italy? In kitchens, in professional kitchens, for sure. They're the dominant gender. Um, but let's say, statistically speaking, women do the food shopping, the beverage shopping, and the cooking, um, the, the vast majority. That's interesting because I think that the grandmother thing exists in a way in our culture too. It's become almost this meaning for just kind of a shitty trope in food writing. Like, don't talk about your grandmother's wooden spoon. I don't want to hear about <laughs> yeah. her biscuit. But in fact, like, that's where a lot of things come from. For yeah. sure. So there's truth to it, but there's also stereotype. Absolutely. Talia and Leslie's book, Spritz, and Katie Parla's Tasting Rome are both out right now. Do yourself a favor and pick them up, along with a bottle of Aperol and a few pounds of fresh pasta. There's so much good in both of them. 
And that's it for this Italy Week edition of Burnt Toast. Thanks to my producer, Kristen Meinzer, and also to Laura Mayer, Henry Malofsky, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. Our Twitter handle is at Food52, or you can leave us a review on iTunes. For Talia Baiocchi, Leslie Pariso, and Katie Parla, who has a name that reads a little like a song, I'm Kenzie Wilbur. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.